Neves Solicitors are proud to sponsor The Parent Show. The friendly team at Neves includes specialists who can guide you through all the legal ups and downs of family life. Visit nevesolicitors.co.uk. Neves Solicitors, your complete legal solution. Hello and welcome to The Parents Show on Radio Verulam 92.6 FM. I'm Lydia L. Corey. And I'm Cathy Weston. A very warm welcome to our fabulous show tonight. It's all about aiming high tonight, Lydia. How can we as parents encourage our children to have fabulous, you know, high aspirations? Uh, and whose job is it to sort of embed those really big ambitions? And, and that's it, like expectation, isn't it? Isn't it set high expectations for your children but what they always say is don't confuse high expectations with pressure yes we've got lots to unpick yeah and helping us along on this journey tonight we've got some fantastic uh, guests uh, professor janet goodall uh, who's going to join us in a second from the school of education at the university of bath and we'll also be talking to uh, dr chris wilson from the brilliant club which is an award-winning charity that exists to widen access to highly selective universities for underrepresented groups also later in the show talking to molly who is on her way to oxford Bridge. We'll find out how she managed that lid. And um, lastly, we'll be speaking to David Weston, who's a representative of the chief executive of the Teacher Development Trust, to find out what the role of teachers is in this um, aspirace, aspiration raising. That's it. So we've got it covered from every angle and we're really looking forward to hearing what all our guests have. So let's start the ball rolling with Professor Janet Goodall from the School of Education at the University of Bath. Hello, Janet. Hello. Thanks for joining us on The Parents Show. Oh, thank you for talking to me. Now, Janet, we know that you are a, a, an expert on parental engagement in children's learning and the importance of that role. Can you tell us a little bit, what does that term actually mean? What it means is parents, it, it's quite literally, it's parents engaging with children's learning. Parents engaging with children's schooling being at school, going to parents' evening, helping with homework, that's important. But what actually makes a difference in raising achievement is parents engaging with their children's learning at home, which parents do naturally when their children are babies. That's how babies learn to walk and talk and dress themselves and all the other things. But it's about continuing that when children go to school, when they, even when they go to secondary school. So it's, it's about the attitude toward learning in the home. And how far should that go, Janet? It's, I, I don't think you could take the attitude toward learning too far, but as you say, you can take pressure too far. Um, when I say the attitude toward learning, anybody who's spent any time with a five-year-old knows that their favorite word is why. You know, why, why this, why that, why talking to a five-year-old is, is exhausting. But a 15-year-old's favorite word isn't that. It's about how we can continue that. And for parents, it's about being able to say, I actually don't know the answer to that. Let's, let's go find out. So, so what you're describing, Janet, is a sort of a, a family environment that's conducive to learning where everybody's asking questions and seeking answers. Yes, yes. Uh, it, sounds, it sounds lovely and it sounds <laughs> like it doesn't take a huge amount of time either, is it? I mean, you're not talking about all day, every day. No, I mean, it would. It, there's some really interesting research from Europe that shows that talking to teenagers for 15 minutes a week about... Facebook or movies um, in my family would have been me saying to my daughter, 
you've seen that movie. Is that a good movie for your mother to see because she saw more than I did? That sort of thing is correlated to children's and to young people's enjoyment of reading and how much how interested they are in their schoolwork. What secondary students told us when we did research and asked them, what they told us was important was that they know their parents care about them and that their parents ask how their schoolwork is going, how their learning is going. They want to answer. They were very clear that they wouldn't answer, but the point was if they, if they were asked, they knew they were cared for. Isn't that funny? And I mean, that's what you hear from so many parents, isn't it? It's like, there's no point in asking my teen, he or she just grunts at me. <laughs> I suppose, Janet, the point you're making is that we have to keep asking. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. What, what teenagers told us was that what they really needed from their parents was moral support. They needed to know that their parents valued learning. We heard all kinds of wonderful stories where uh, young people were telling us, well, yes, it's nice when my parents are interested in me, but my dad's my dad. Um, and it, it was about pleasing your parents, even though they were happy to tell me that. I very much doubt they told their parents that. And Janet, you've mentioned dads there. Is there is there a sort of a different influence that mothers or fathers bring in terms of academic outcome? There's some research in the States that shows that in some groups of parents it does seem to be that way. We don't have that much research here. I think because people tend to have fairly different roles in the society we have, it probably does have a different influence. But what we heard from students up and down the country was that what really mattered was that their parents said, we care. And that included laying down rules and saying, no, I don't think you should do that, or no, you can't do that. And we heard that about both mums and dads. And I think you're referring to sort of parenting styles or different ways of bringing up our children. Is there a sort of an optimal one that parents should adopt if they're trying to, you know, instill expectation and raise aspiration? I'm not sure there's a particular way of parenting. I mean, some of the research would seem to show that, but some of it's kind of blinkered and, and assumes that what we know in, in sort of white middle class groups is what should happen. And I'm not sure that's, that's actually the case. What will raise aspirations, is, or what the research also shows, is that often parents do have really high aspirations for their children. They don't know how to go about making those aspirations happen. And so in that sense, it's about not being afraid to ask the question and being able to say to school staff or even to the children who are learning about it at school, what should you be doing? What can you be doing? What can I do to help? Taking advantage of things like the Brilliant Club. And referring, as you've said, to sort of better communication between yeah. yourself and teachers is, is absolutely critical. And asking if you don't know, you know, what a particular homework is about mm. and just in having that more dialogue. That and asking your child as well. We, you know, it, teachers will always tell you that in teaching something you learn about it better. And saying to your child, I don't understand what you're doing. Can you explain it to me? Will actually help your child because they'll have to explain it and think about it. And often that answers the question they have in the first place. But in terms of communication with school staff, the vast majority of teachers want exactly what parents want, which is what's best for the child. And that's, that's the place to start the conversation. Lovely. And Janet, uh, we, we mentioned pressure um, not being the optimal way to go. But how do it's, there's such a fine line between running with your children's learning and, and and actually making them feel like that you you expect them from them that that they might necessarily feel they're able for. Yeah, I think it's I think it's about trusting your instincts 
as well and keeping those lines of communication open if your children are aware of the fact that you're still learning and and that it's okay not to know the answer and how do you find the answer the problem i think is in the transition because when your children are very small it's very easy you do know the answers but as they get older the questions they ask become much more difficult and certainly when my children were in secondary school i had no clue what the answers were to the homework they were doing but it's about being able to say i don't know either let's see what we can do to find out and janet so just to just to re uh, sorry paraphrase what you've said learning at home in the sort of everyday life is absolutely critical you yes. don't always have to understand but always keep questioning alongside your child trust your instincts instincts model learning and um I think keep, keep just you know watch out for signs of poor well-being or poor mental yeah. health alongside that. Yes. Lovely. Okay. And Janet, what advice would you have for parents listening whose children are really maybe struggling and not engaging in school at all? Um, what, what advice would you have in terms of where you begin to motivate a child like that? The first piece of advice is don't give up, and the second is that. You are not alone. Parents in that situation are not alone. So often when you have a problem with your child, and again, I raise children myself, you think, my child is the only one who's doing this. This is the only time, or I'm a bad parent. And it is not about being a bad parent. It's about caring for your child. And the same way that if your child was ill, you wouldn't feel that you were a bad parent because your child was ill. You would seek help. And it's about the same sort of thing. It's important to realize as well, that, as I said, that, that the school staff want the same thing for your children. They're, they're not on the other side of a divide, even though it can seem like that if schoolwork is, is the issue. And perhaps getting in touch and saying, I want the best for my child, you want the best for my child. What can I do to support my child? Yeah, that's a lovely opener, isn't it? Because it creates some sort of alignment between you both and you're mm. not sort of in a battle. Um, Janet, can I ask you about the other kind of scenario where your child isn't struggling but that your child is is doing okay but is clearly bored at school what, what would you say in that scenario school's only a very small part of learning children are only at school young people are only at school about 25 percent of their time what is it that actually interests them and is that something that you as a parent or you as a family can get into. It may be sport, it may be um, creating videos on YouTube, it may be a myriad of things, it may be music, but learning is still an important thing and, and the process of learning will transfer over. If a child is learning about sport, that will transfer over. It's amazing sometimes the amount of information that people that are really into football can carry around in their heads and the mathematics they do in their heads. And it's about actually showing your child that learning is a good thing and janet uh lastly for children who's for sorry for parents whose children are really thriving academically again how do they ensure it doesn't tip over into sort of perfectionism and the stress that we see that anxiety embedding in as often seen in secondary school when it comes up against so many exams i think laughter is very underestimated you know, are there times that you can laugh with your, chi your child? Are there, what, what causes your child to laugh? And is that something you hear in your home? And if not, how can you go about it? Yeah, that's a lovely tip. That's yeah. a lovely tip. Just get making them laugh till they cry. 
Well, well, I'm not, I don't right recommend way. making your children cry, but, <laughs> but you know, laughter, we, everybody talks about the beauty of a child's laughter, but the beauty of a teenage la- teenager's laughter, it's still your child. You know, it yeah. still sounds just as wonderful when your your teenager, or in my case, your you know your young adults are laughing with yeah. you. Yeah, lovely. So we need to come up with a few jokes as well. I'm just thinking Tom and Jerry. <laughs> it's got to be Tom and Jerry. I think. <laughs> uh, Janet, very lastly, what 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 research are you working on at the moment that may be of interest to the parents listening? Uh, I'm I'm involved in two things. I think that might be of interest. We're trialling a toolkit with schools in my local authority that will help schools help parents to support their children because one of the issues is that schools need to stop thinking parental engagement is getting parents into parents' evening. That's useful and it's nice, but it's not actually going to help people's learning as much as actually engaging in, in the home. So we're working with about 30 schools on that. And I'm also really interested in the communication that goes on between school and home. Schools are extremely good at giving people information, but it's not just about giving parents information. It's actually about teachers creating a dialogue and parents creating a dialogue around their child's learning. And how does that happen? And and are we actually, are, are are there technological things that can help us actually have a dialogue rather than just exchanging information? And Janet, you know, you mentioned that you're working with the 30 schools. Well, yeah. Could you give us an example of any of the activities that you're doing to, to do that? Or has it reached that stage yet? Well, we only launched it a week and a half ago. Um, but already some of the schools are doing things like creating a list of questions that parents can think about before parents' evening. So, you know, what, what can you ask at parents' evening that will help you find out about your children's learning? Um, schools are thinking about having training for school staff and governors because I think they're very, very important in all this about what parental engagement actually is because it can sound like just another thing schools have to do but in the long run it helps students and it can reduce teacher workload so it's about everybody pulling together. And it, but it is actually something schools have to do now, isn't it? I mean, it's not just it's not just a nice idea and it's not coming in and volunteering in the PTA. It's no. actually... it's. It's a prerequisite, isn't it, for schools that really want to get an outstanding label now? Well, more than that, 28% of the children in this country live in poverty, and if we want to do something about that, schools have done an incredible amount to bridge the achievement gap, but they've done about everything they can do when it comes to classroom practice. So this is the next step. This is the lever that we have for school improvement, and it's about working with parents to support children. And I think those two points, Janet, about social mobility and also teacher-parent home communication, our next guests will be fabulously placed to <laughs> answer them. So thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. And all the very best. And you. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks Janet. Welcome back to The Parents Show on Radio Verulam 92.6 FM. I'm Lydia L. Corey. And I'm Cathy Weston. Now, tonight on the show, we're talking about parental engagement. And we have been speaking to Professor Janet Goodall from University of Bath about that. And then the next logical expert to have on is Dr. Chris Wilson, who's the National Programme Director at the Brilliant Club. Um, hello, Chris. Hi, how are you doing? Good. Thanks for joining us on The Parents Show. Thank you for inviting me. Can you tell us what exactly the Brilliant Club is? 
So the, the Brilliant Club is a, a, a national charity that, that runs two programmes um, that seek to mobilise researchers uh, and place them in non-selective state schools up and down the country to support uh, pupils from underrepresented groups to go on to uh, secure places at highly selective universities. Uh, and the, the programme um, runs in, in Hertfordshire. Uh, it's called the Scholars Programme, and we're placing PhD tutors in schools all over the county uh, to work with uh, pupils in the schools. Um, and they essentially produce university-style uh, assignments at the end of a series of tutorials that take place over a couple of months um, with the hope that those pupils develop the confidence, the skills and the ambition to secure a place at a top university. How exciting, right on our doorstep. Absolutely. Chris, are you invited in by schools or do you sort of, how, how does it work in terms of, you know, that initial referral, if you like? It's a good question. Um, really, our growth into the, the, the region and our growth um, out of London, where the charity was founded, has been through head teacher to head teacher recommendation. So head teachers, when they, they get together at a conference or, or, or some kind of forum or gathering, uh, will talk about the strategies that they're using to, to really push their high attainers in the school. And I suppose that we're one of the interventions that, they, that, that schools will often choose uh, to, to select to work with those pupils. So basically, take a normal week in your average secondary school. How do you sort of, how do your PhD tutors fit into the school timetable? Is it after school that those small tutorials would take place? No, they take place during the, the course of the, the school day. The, the teachers will select um, the, the pupils to work in usually two groups of six, uh, and they'll select those pupils who will be taken out of their uh, normal timetable to work with the PhD tutor who will go and deliver tutorials that are between an hour and an hour and a half in length. Uh, and usually on the course of the programme there are seven tutorials, the first of which actually takes place at a university. So the, all the programmes launch at a highly selective university uh, and they all graduate at a highly selective university as well. But in between all the tutorials will take place uh, in, in the school. And as I say, there will be an opportunity for the, the PhD tutor to work with a, a far smaller group of pupils um, than a usual class size. Uh, and that allows the pupils to have a, more of a chance to communicate, more of a chance to articulate themselves in, in an academic way, uh, and ultimately a chance to look at the subject of which they're studying in a, in a totally different uh, way. So it's a win-win, really? That's the hope. Um, and it's a win-win more than uh, just for the pupils, because the PhD student gets a huge amount out of it as well. Uh, Chris, what does the training involve for the PhD tutors themselves? They all have to go through a, a, a rigorous assessment, first of all, um, and once they've been uh, deemed to have the communication skills and the empathy necessary to go into the classroom, uh, they'll go through uh, a training program that's designed and delivered by qualified teachers. Um, we run three of these training programs across the year because our PhD teachers actually work with pupils from year six right up to year 12, uh, so we need to make sure that they're well-equipped uh, to deal with different age groups uh, and differing needs as well. Uh, so the training program is one of the things that, that we're proudest of, but equally it's one of the things that allows us to work with universities because universities see it as really advantageous to put their researchers through the program. And how many schools in Hertfordshire, out of curiosity, are you currently working with? We're working with five in, in Hertfordshire. Uh, Goff School, uh, Hartswood Academy, who uh, Molly, who you'll speak to later, um, studied with us at. John uh, Warner School, Sandringham School in St Aldham's uh, and the Priory School up in Hitchin. Ah, fantastic. Of course, Sandringham is just about 
a mile from where we're sitting right now. Yeah, fantastic. And I, I think that one of the exciting things about the programme is that the pupils that come from Hertfordshire will get a chance to experience uh, universities that are right up and down the country. So I know that uh, Hartswood School graduated the programme uh, from Oxford uh, last year, but we've got partner universities in London with King's uh, College. We've got partner universities in Southampton and Manchester. Uh, and we actually also work with the Open University. So I know some of the PhD students who've been going into the schools in, in Hertfordshire come from there. And in terms of the sort of uh, experiencing university, you've mentioned they actually visit a campus, etc. Yeah, that's you know, right. So, so, so does that happen at the beginning and end of the programme? That's right. So the... Pupils will all visit uh, a highly selective university at the, the start of the programme where they'll have their first tutorial. And we think it's really important that the pupils kind of experience the intellectual and the physical environment of a university. But it's also an opportunity for the university to deliver information, advice and guidance to those pupils. Uh, so the programme isn't just about the academic attainment, which is what they're working on their PhD tutor with, but it's about... Uh, developing knowledge uh, of the university uh, application system. And again, at the graduation event, those messages are reinforced. Uh, and we're delighted at the graduation event that many of the universities we work with now invite parents along as well so that they can demystify some of the questions that parents have about financing around university, uh, about UCAS, uh, and about the, the living conditions and uh, the, the way in which their, their pupils uh, and their children might go on to study. Uh, Chris, you just mentioned the finances attached to going to university. I think it's, a, as you know, a real worry for lots of parents who may feel they don't want to encourage that aspiration because they don't have the economic, you know, means to support it. So you have mentioned UCAS. I know there's a brilliant website that they have full of financial information and advice for parents. So we'll probably flag it up on our Facebook page now. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd also um, flag up the fact that there's some specific organisations uh, that work regionally in, in the UK to help with uh, pupils locally. So um, Lindsay Rigby at Hearts Ahead, if you go to the Hearts Ahead uh, website, there's a dedicated uh, individual working to, uh, to look at university issues in Hertfordshire itself. Wow, that's amazing. And just could you just repeat the name of that website? Yeah, it's Hearts Ahead. Um, and that's uh, one of the national networks of collaborative outreach, which is a, a long way of saying uh, there are a group of people who set up to make sure that every region has a dedicated person uh, who's responsible for uh, supporting pupils to go on to secure places in higher education. And do people, sorry, if parents are listening who, for example, want to encourage their child to go to university, but perhaps they've never been themselves or they're not sure of the process, is the Heart for Head um, organisation the people that they can speak to in addition to, say, the school teacher? Yeah, absolutely. And they'll have a calendar of events um, that, are, that are on the website uh, and, and some contact details. Uh, and they'll be able to push parents in the direction of people that might be able to help. I would also emphasise that uh, the schools that we work with are a really great source of information yeah, and advice yeah. and guidance. They would uh, know those well. things as well. So, Lydia, it's all happening in Hertfordshire. That's right. <laughs> I'm just trying to get this all on Facebook so all our listeners can share it as well. And is there, is there a big need for what you're doing, Chris? Well, I, I think that there's a, a widely recognised uh, disparity in progression to highly selective universities um, from certain groups of pupils up and down the country. You mentioned a few moments ago um, uh, parents who maybe don't have a uh, history of higher education themselves 
and those, the children of those parents are less likely to go on and secure a place at a highly selective university. There's also a disparity um, between those pupils who come from more disadvantaged backgrounds in terms of the, the salary, um, and only 3% of pupils from those backgrounds will go on to secure a place at a highly selective university. So charities like ours are really trying to make sure that there's a level playing field when it comes to applications. And the way in which we do that, essentially, is to go and make sure that pupils uh, in, in non-selective state schools have access to non-curricular materials, the, the type of exciting uh, extracurricular reading that will allow pupils to make competitive applications um, and speak articulately in interviews to universities like uh, Oxford and Cambridge. And I know Molly, who's coming on, on later, um, was able to use her brilliant club assignment for her application um, to university. Yeah, so that's terribly exciting because we're going to speak to Molly, who's actually experienced working with you and who's on her way to Cambridge in September. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's obviously the best part of the job to, to hear yeah. stories like that. Fantastic. Well, look, Chris, well done on all the work the Brilliant Club is doing. And we're chuffed that you're, st well, in Hertfordshire and have a presence here. And we'll be certainly spreading the word uh, on our social media network. So thank you so much. Thank you very much indeed. Have a good evening. Have a good evening. Take care now. Bye-bye. 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 Now, um, next up on The Parent Show, we're speaking about parental engagement and about aspirations. And our next guest is somebody who is just a perfect example of a combination of all of those things. We're talking to Molly Georgiou. Hi, Molly, how are you? Hello, I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Good. And you're a member of the Brilliant Club. I am. Tell us, we, we know you have fantastic news. Tell us where you're going in October, September. Um, I've got an offer from Queen's College at Cambridge University to um, study psychology. And how do you feel about that? Um, very relieved and excited. I really didn't think I would have that opportunity, but very excited. And h tell us how your work with the Brilliant Club went. Um, it was really good. It was a very good opportunity to expand my knowledge of an area I hadn't really looked into. Um, and it gave me an understanding of undergraduate study that I think I wouldn't have had otherwise. It was a very good opportunity. So Molly, did you meet with your PhD tutor in school regularly? Um, yeah, I think we had about six sessions um, once every week. And did you get introduced to Cambridge? Did you visit the campus as well? Um, I did, but not with the Brilliant Club. Okay, so they and what part role did they play in your application to Cambridge? Because presumably, as well, you had an interview. Yep, um, with the Brilliant Club, I definitely think it helped me confidence-wise because with the tutorials, we had to speak to a PhD tutor, get our views across, so that helped with the interview. And um, also, the essay that we produced and was marked um, to an undergraduate level is. Um, it formed part of the work that I sent to the college as my application, so that was definitely played a big role. And presumably, obviously, you have to get really good A-level results to get into Cambridge. So we, that, that P, those PhD tutorials, they obviously really enriched your academic knowledge of your subjects? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, they helped you go beyond the A-level curriculum um, and look at things that you hadn't really thought of before, so definitely... That's amazing. And what has everyone's reaction in your family and amongst your friends been to your amazing achievement? Um, they're really proud and happy. And um, I'm the first person in my, in my um, family to go to university, so they're very excited about it as well. That's fantastic. Wow. I'm sure there's going to be, there'll be a big group of people going to Cambridge with you in October. Yeah. <laughs> 
And why did you choose to do the Scholars Programme? Why did you choose that course? Um, I think because it's something that I hadn't done before. Um, Obviously, when you're applying to university, you want things to make you stand out and help you as well to become a more rounded student and applicant. And I think with the Scholars Programme, that definitely offered that. It helped you to communicate your ideas better by speaking to a tutor, but also to learn something from them. So I think it really helped me in that way. And Molly, what what about um, your advice to, you know, young people listening who'd really like to do something as bold as that and apply to somewhere like Cambridge, but they're not feeling so confident? Um, I would definitely encourage them to do it because I hadn't even thought of really applying until, I'd say, this time last year. And I think um, a lot of the people who do get in and who do the best actually don't have that belief in themselves at first they think that maybe they're not as good but that's just because they're perfectionist I think if you actually go for it you'll realize that everyone's in the same boat um you need to just believe in yourself to go for it and even if you don't get in it's a fantastic opportunity and that lovely that's, advice oh, even Molly, just to try awesome you know that's what you every every parent would want a child to say and I was about yeah. to ask you what qualities do you feel you need to get through this kind of process but can you think, I mean, I can hear what you're saying already. It, it means confidence, resilience, I suppose. You need to just kind yeah. of keep going. Any any other things that you, like qualities you think that pe- young people should have to get there? Um, I think um, you need to have a passion for your subject. You need to not only say that you're interested in it, but believe that you are and know that you can go beyond that and if you're learning about something in school and it's really what you want to carry on to undergraduate level maybe go home and read an article on it just show that you're interested in it because then you will feel more assured when you go into interview or you get invited there so i think that side of it as well is important and tell us i mean if any young people are listening to this they're probably going oh she probably had to study like 12 hours a day (laughs) Is, is that the reality um Personally, I do study a lot, but that's just because I quite enjoy studying. I quite enjoy getting into the text in English or learning about studies in psychology. But I think rather than counting the amount of hours you spend studying, you need to just make sure you understand something and don't be afraid to ask if you need help because that doesn't mean you're not clever or you're not getting it. You need to just make sure that when you go into the exam, you feel as confident as you can and that's all you can really do. Well, you're an inspiration, Molly. You are, Molly, you are. And Molly, what, what aspect of psychology are you really excited to learn more about at Queen's when you go? Um, I'm particularly interested in either criminal psychology or potentially clinical. So they're two quite different things. But um, the thing I like about the Cambridge course is you can actually pick papers from other tripods at the university. So I have the opportunity to maybe do a paper in anthropology or politics. So I could maybe broaden my knowledge there as well. But definitely um, criminal or clinical at the moment. So we'll have you back, Molly, in a few years, Lydia, yeah. to be our expert <laughs> clinical psychologist. I love the way you've done your homework. My God, you really know what you're doing. That's really impressive. It doesn't compare to my, my university experience <laughs> Anyway, I can tell you. Molly, um, I think another thing I would worry about, I think, at your age, is the sort of deadlines for these things. I mean, do, do schools help you understand the deadlines and the UCAS application process and the Brilliant Club, did they assist with that? Because I think it can be super daunting for people. Um, yeah, um, I definitely think my school played a large role in me understanding that and helping me with that because... 
I can get quite anxious and stressed about things like that. But um, in our sixth form common room, we'd have the deadline dates. We'd have um, designated people we could go to to help with that. But also a lot of it is just going to ask for the help and knowing that the teachers are there to help you. And I think because the UCAS deadline um, for Cambridge and Oxbridge applications is actually earlier as well, if you just know that you can get that help, then it's all good. It's all helpful. Well, Molly, we want. To, will you send us a postcard, please? Cambridge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we think you're fantastic, and congratulations Thank on you. a really impressive achievement. Well done. Well Thank done, you. Molly. Well done. Thanks for joining us. Thank All you. the very best. Welcome back to The Parents Show on Radio Verulam 92.6 FM. Tonight we're talking all about aspiration and expectations and um, and getting to the top really, isn't it? And we had a perfect example speaking to Molly just now of how resilience and hard work and ambition really goes hand in hand, and, doesn't it? And shows that anything's possible yeah. and that there's you get a real sense tonight of especially in Hertfordshire, there are so many people out there who want to help young people yeah. get to where they want to go. Yeah. And it's just about parents as well seeking out that advice and help. And there's one voice we're we're sorely missing and we're just about to have that now. We're going to speak to um David Weston who is the chief executive of the Teacher Development Trust. Hi David. Hello. Thanks for joining us on the parents show. Thank you very much for having me. So we really need the teacher's perspective on, on the conversation we've been having. So how important do you think parents are in engaging with their children's well-being and learning? We, we heard Janet say really work in the classroom has kind of reached its optimal. Like everything has been done, almost everything that's been done, it isn't, it, it's been worked on. So parents have a role to play. What, what kind of a role do you think they have? Oh, I mean, hugely important. Um, most studies would suggest that parents have a significantly larger impact on children's learning than schools. Obviously, as teachers, we're always trying to learn to be better and trying to learn how to work with your children more and more effectively. But there's no question about it. What's happening in the home, um, what happens with parents is just so incredibly important. And do you have any tips about what schools can be doing to pull parents in? I mean, Janet mentioned that she's doing pro- it's a project and how she's focusing on exactly that. What, what's your experience? Um, I think schools can be really helpful here because um, there are lots of professionals in schools who are really good at understanding learning. Um, and actually, um, often schools are seen as really valuable sources of advice for parents. So I think the best schools see parents as allies, really see, well, if we work together, we can really help your child effectively. So, for example, um, I've seen schools who are helping parents uh, with advice on creating the right learning environment at home. Schools will think about how to create the right environment at school, but then we can help parents and say, well, how can you continue that at home? Uh, Where would you put a desk? What sort of environment? What level of noise is useful? What times would be useful? Um, Sometimes it's sharing research with parents, um, advice on sleep routines, use of electronics, etc. And then there's also some parents um, might want help from the schools and, and schools engage with them about great ways to do reading with children and how to praise your child in really helpful ways and what to avoid because it's unhelpful or when to step in um, and when it's okay to let children struggle a bit. 
Um, so I think there's all sorts of things around study habits and learning where a really good alliance between schools and parents can just transform what happens to that child. Uh, parents, uh, sorry, Dave. Um, parents as well often sort of have, you know, some have mixed feelings about approaching school and asking questions in the way that Janet and you, you have yeah. both advocated. I mean, often parents are often feeling afraid of going into the school and speaking to teachers. That's and right. and uh, I mean, uh, can you sort of recognise that? What would you advise parents in terms of that relationship? You know, how do we get it to be like Janet described as sort of a, you know, we're both working together or on the same page? Because it can, can be quite difficult. Te- par- par- schools can and put up a barrier. Yeah, you, you're, you're quite right, Kathy. And um, what we what we sometimes see is that parents, maybe in particular, who had a bad experience with school themselves, or they're not feeling so confident, um, then it can be more difficult to set up that relationship. And actually, really, um, it's very important for the schools to reach out and make it a very welcoming place for parents and explain. Um, we see a number of schools now who will make sure that on, on one or more occasions they'll actually go and do home visits, certainly early on, particularly in primary school, maybe to establish a relationship and just make sure communication um, works really well. Um, because you're absolutely right, if, if it feels like a, a very forbidding place, then that's not really going to work. And similarly, um, you know, obviously, as, as teachers, we're incredibly busy in schools, but at the same time, we do have to realise that parents are incredibly busy too and try and create the right times where it's really seen as a partnership. It's not, well, this works for us and you must come and see us now, but actually we're also going to try and help you because we do see you as partners. So I think it is really, really important that um, on both sides um, there's a really good relationship-building process to make sure you can work together on, on, on helping children learn. Dave, you know uh, the idea of t- teachers that, I'm trying to remember his name, the actor who died, he was in um, the Dead Poets Society and at one point he was doing this fabulous oh. lesson. Robin, what is Robin Williams. Robin Williams. And yeah. he was stand- the children were standing on the desks and having this different perspective, you know, of the world that Robin had introduced. And do you think it's a hard, those children were, I remember, if I remember correctly about the film, were encouraged to really dream big and follow their ambitions and their individual passions. Is the, is the pressure on teachers now sort of inhibiting that kind of aspiration? Like, can teachers do anything they like in the classroom? You know, can they instill that aspiration in young people as easily under the current conditions? Well, so um, like almost anybody at work these days, uh, teachers have a lot of targets they have to reach. And of course, you know, as teachers, we, we get a lot of public money in order to do our jobs. So it's probably only right that, you know, people are making sure that we are teaching. But yes, that can be tough. And actually, as a teacher these days, you're desperately trying to achieve exam targets and sometimes you do feel more constrained. But um, the, the best teachers, and, you know, I work with amazing people all the time who can not only help children, you know, really achieve all those grades they want to, but they're really inspirational people. And people become teachers because they love their subjects, they love learning, they're just full of passion about how to inspire children and so schools are full of these people. Um, so, I mean, I think it, it's a wonderful place to be when you're in a really happy school and teachers are really excited and they share that passion. And nearly everybody, I think, can remember a teacher who just the love they had of their subject, whether it was kind of big and, you know, volcanic and erupting all over the place or just the quiet delight. Everybody remembers someone who, who inspired them. So I think that still happens these days. You know, you're never going to take that out of teaching. Um. David, I, I, I completely agree with you, and I wonder about the 
the parent side of things. You said some parents can have had a negative experience when they were growing up. And I think quite often it's hard for parents to get the tone right between you don't want to come across as a pushy parent. You, you, I mean, I see some parents, you know, in my children's school and other schools where maybe they're so nervous, but it comes across as quite aggressive, you know, in the way they talk to teachers. And, and I, I wonder how parents can get it right, get the tone right, and just understand that t- teachers are humans like everybody else. They're doing their best. They're trying as hard as they can and get the tone right. Do you have absolutely. any advice? Yes, absolutely. I mean, to be honest, this is, um, you know, so important. Whenever you are in front of your children, you're modelling behaviour with adults, and that's the behaviour that they will they will take on as well. So um, it's so important that um, when you are, you know, talking to each other in the home as adults or you're talking to teachers, the most important thing is don't suddenly get really tense and defensive. Um, and actually just you're thinking, well, my child needs to learn from all sorts of situations, so I need to show I'm open to learning as well. So, um, you know, it's, it's adopting an attitude saying, I may be concerned about this and this is what I've observed um, and, you know, this is the conclusion I'm drawing, but, you know, tell me what have I missed and is there anything we can all do to work through this and what else do I need to know? And then asking your child, you know, what can you contribute to this? Is there anything you've seen? Um, And really exploring and having exploring conversations and you can show that actually it's not about having battles with someone just because you may have a disagreement. It's about understanding the other person's perspective. It's about really engaging in the problem together. And actually, that's just as true when you're at home as well, because you can, um, you know, there are there are little sort of guides now of wonderful ways to praise your child and have growth mindset. And actually, you can say those words, but unless you show that in all situations, you say, I'm going to learn from this and actually I can do better. Um, there is a common problem. And actually, it's true with teachers as well, where people get very excited about all these new ways to praise children and so on. But actually, what we're modeling is getting very angry and defensive as soon as anything goes wrong. So, of course, we need to show our children, actually, things can go wrong, people can criticise me, and you know what, I'm going to learn from it, I'm going to work through it, might get a bit emotional, but I'll get over it, and it will be fine, and we'll learn. And and that's just really important. Um, So, that's true of teachers, that's true of us. You know, we may have had really stressful days, we need to make sure we're open to listening to parents as well, and hopefully parents with, with teachers too. Dave, at, at secondary school parents' evening, slightly different to primary school because mm-hmm. our children are present uh, at secondary, so you can bring your child along to, to lots of school evenings, as you know. What is your advice if your you know, young adult, young person is, is with you while you're having the conversation with the teacher? Because I, find, I think a lot of parents find that enormously stressful, as do the pupils. Yes, well, I mean, it's, it's very difficult because, apart from anything else, um, we've all done it when there's a situation at work and suddenly a family member is there. And it's, first of all, very weird because you've got two social groups coming together and that feels very strange. We know teens are extremely likely to feel excruciatingly embarrassed. So the thought of either the teacher being embarrassing in front of their parents or the parents being embarrassing in front of the teacher is just horrifically embarrassing for them. So um, it can be quite difficult. However, again, it really should be an open conversation um, and lots of opportunities to ask teachers um, what is it that you've um, observed or seen that you know we could do to be really helpful here and um, asking the uh, asking your child your son or your daughter and saying um, you know do you have anything any reflections about the subject and what can we do as your parents and what could your teacher do to really help you um, and again have a really good open conversation 
And it is, these are very difficult conversations, and I know as teachers we always try and keep on time in those parents' evenings, but it is very difficult because, of course, you want to have, have as many conversations as you can. Um, and I know they can be, frankly, trying for everybody, but the more you can have really good, open conversations with lots of questions and lots of exploring how to help each other, I think the better, because they are as much about relationship building as they are about exchanging facts, I think. You do this every time, David. We've had the pleasure of having you on the show, and I hear a, a concept, and I think, oh, my God, it's so it's so difficult and insurmountable, and you make it sound so easy. I don't know how you do it. That's very kind. It's always a pleasure to be on. That, but that's that's great advice for a parent, because it just, it, you've just distilled it and broken it down into very a simple and very easy approach. Thank you. You're very welcome, and um, really enjoyed the show. And wasn't that young lady who was on earlier incredibly inspirational? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, she really is. And so are the Brilliant Club. They're doing amazing work. And we just realised tonight, you know, in Hertfordshire, there are all these wonderful people working, you know, to it's increase social to have, mobility it's and equality. It's great role models in schools. And as a teacher, it's wonderful to have these, you know, people from different backgrounds in your school talking to your students. And it's brilliant because, you know, we can give one perspective, but having other people is just wonderful. So, again, listen, thank you very much. I think it's been a really important show. Thank you. Thanks thank you so David. much. Take, Take care. care. Bye-bye. 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 That was David Weston, the Chief Executive of the Teacher Development Trust. So, so many perspectives, Cathy, and so yeah. much, so many helpful tips yeah, for I parents. Mean, I really like that tip that David gave, that when you go to parents' evening, I've got two next week, it's as much about relationship building as feedback. Yeah. And don't go in Facts. there expecting a fight, you know, yeah. uh, and don't feel defensive. It's about that relationship with the teacher who's going to be with our child most of their time yeah. this year. Yeah, um, I really like that piece of advice. Excellent. And, um, and well, communication has been a common theme, actually. And I would not have thought it at the beginning of the show, but how important communication is between teachers and parents and between you and your child yeah we have to take janet goodall's amazing point about laughter yeah. seriously you know that it is about you know there has to be these children are under so much pressure yeah. there has to be you know a bit in the week where you're holding your belly and having a laugh with yeah, them absolutely. to keep it keeping it relaxed absolutely absolutely that couldn't be i couldn't agree more but um and what of your top top tips apart from you you know how to sol- solve your parent teacher meeting next week Yes, any that's other correct. any other thoughts, Kathy? I think as well. I really like the idea of just keeping it nice and open. Those lovely open questions, and it's. I think as well from what David and Janet said, modelling, modelling that behaviour and approach to learning. She advocated a home full of curiosity and questions, and I you don't have that. to. Have, you don't have to have the answers. And D- David said that as well. That it's about our attitudes to learning, and um, and I think. The feeling, like I feel really sorry for parents who are, you know, maybe have had had very negative experiences at school, because it must be really scary to go in to meet teachers if you're maybe expecting some negative feedback on your child, and and very difficult for teenagers as well to sit there and listen. You see, but I, I mean, I think teachers are so well versed in that. I think they manage so many. Yeah, very really resilient awful to it, situations yeah. very well you know I but think. i think the central point is that we've heard is that ev- they're both on the same page they both want the best for your child yeah. and if parents approach parents evening i love that it's such a simple idea yeah this this woman wants this, the best for my son in the same way that i do 
So, you know, it's lovely, isn't it? It's a nice thought to enter into the room with. Yeah, in cooperation. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. I'm sure um, a lot of parents will get a huge amount of value out of, of what we've heard this evening on the yeah. Parents Show. So, as always, have a look at our Facebook page or go follow us on Twitter and share your thoughts. Give us themes for, for a show. We'd absolutely love to hear from you. Um, we are, you know, we're a pair of parents doing the show and we'd love to hear from fellow parents. So thank you very much for listening to The Parent Show. All the best. Neve solicitors are proud to sponsor The Parent Show. The friendly team at Neves includes specialists who can guide you through all the legal ups and downs of family life. Visit nevesolicitors.co.uk. Neves solicitors, your complete legal solution.